welcome back to another episode of Dangerous Minds. It's your boys, Tanner and Patrick. Say hi to our listeners, Patrick. What, what? Um, so I think, you know, we'll probably just go ahead and jump into this episode today, not get into any banter or anything like that. But I do want to say, um, I guess you could call it some disclaimers before we start. So we are going to be talking about abortion on this episode, which obviously is a very polarizing and divisive topic in our culture. And so um, I think it's important that, of course, we we address it and approach it with some some compassion, um, understanding that, you know, people have all kinds of different nuanced views on this topic, but also um, just so that we can come to some some understanding and maybe find some places that we agree, you know, with with possibly people that are listening or people that might be kind of on the fence and not really sure what their position is. That's I think that's pretty important that we 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 address this with compassion and kindness and and not let ourselves kind of fall into that trap of, you know, oh, if you're if you're a, a pro-abortion or if you're pro-choice, then you're some kind of monster because that's definitely not what we believe. And so I want to say that first. But, you know, I would also ask that if you are a listener who is maybe on the fence or you completely disagree with the conversation that Patrick and I are about to have, um, I would also ask that you extend kind of the same grace to us because, you know, I think I think something that would illustrate this point pretty well would be uh, Louis C.K. of all people. Um, he he did he's got this segment uh, from one of his standups years ago where he talks about abortion, and um, he kind of uh, the way that he goes about it to me kind of exposes some of the the darknesses of abortion, but he does it in such a hilarious way um, where he opens up by saying, you know, people think that pro-lifers are so annoying and that they have these shrill voices and, you know, they're just, they're so, uh, they're so annoying, blah, blah, blah. Right. And he, and the crowd kind of is cheering him on and he's like, but guys, they think babies are being murdered. Right. You know, and, and I, th- I think that's such a good point because, you know, that's that is the pro-life stance. The pro-life stance is that the unborn in the womb is an actual human being and a human life with moral value. So the point that he's making is that, hey, let's have a little bit of empathy here because they think that like we're slaughtering babies on the daily. Right. He's talking to a a, a mostly, I would say, pro-choice crowd. And oh, so well, I just uh, yeah. I think that's such a great point and a great way of looking at it because that's that's probably one of the things I would ask the average pro-choice or pro-abortion, however you want to say it. I would ask the average person that believes that I would I would I would ask them, what if you're wrong? Because right. if those of us who are on the pro-life side of the aisle, if we're wrong, yeah, I think some bad would probably come from that. But it, if they are wrong, the mass slaughter of human beings is happening every single day all over the world, every second of every, right? And nobody would have to have a, an issue with it. So, or nobody would have an issue with it. So I think that's something that is, is worth addressing before we get into this. Anyway, it'll, it'll, it'll also be nice to get your female perspective on things too. 
Oh, okay. Thanks, man. Appreciate that. You know, if if you have listened to our our first couple of episodes this far, then you might remember a conversation that Patrick and I had. I think it was in our first full length episode where very briefly the topic of abortion came up. And Patrick said something like, I don't really know where I stand on that issue a hundred percent. Like I'm kind of a fence straddler. And I made a comment, something along the lines of, okay, I'm going to convince you. I'm going to convince you otherwise. And so that is kind of what, that was the spark for this conversation. I want to make it clear that this is not going to be a debate. Patrick and I are not going to be debating. Instead, we're just going to be having a casual conversation about some of the most common pro-choice arguments. And I'm going, Patrick's going to, we have a list okay, that we've compiled, and I'm going to uh, kind of respond to these arguments. And Patrick is going to, of course, uh, provide his own commentary on any of the ones that he he wants to, for sure. But we are going to get into the thick of it whenever we get to the ones in which he is kind of um, not sure where he stands, if that makes sense. So there yeah. will and be that, some... Go ahead. Oh, just there's... I know there's one on here for sure. It was actually what I brought up in the first episode. So, I mean, we'll get to that one for sure. But yeah. 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 So there, there will be some some points of, of contention in this conversation. But it, again, it's not going to be a debate. It's not going to be like Tanner absolutely crushes redheaded liberal <laughs> or something like that. You know, it's not <laughs> it's not going to be anything like that. Um, so basically what Thank I've God, done, we don't have video, you know, right. <laughs> cause, cause you, cause now we can't, you know, we, you won't be able to do the thug life meme after you right. own me in this podcast. <laughs> um, so basically what I've done is that after a long time of, I'm, I'm definitely not a, um, a master pro-life apologist. Okay. This is just something that I'm interested in and I'm passionate about it. I think about it a lot. Um, and I'm also interested in just logic and reason in debates. And so over time, I've kind of distilled down some of what what I think are the most common, and a lot of them are also bad arguments for abortion. So we're we have a list here. Patrick is going to do us the honor of going through each point. He's going to read these points, these arguments. And then, like I said, I will address them, and we will have some conversation. So, Without further ado, this is the third full-length episode of Dangerous Minds. Patrick, take it away. All right, here we go. Um, first point, and these, like I said, these these are these are this is a list that was compiled of things we hear commonly from from pro-choice um, people. So, right. um, if we, you know, if we miss something or you know, something like that. This is just the ones that you hear most frequently from the pro-choice activists. So, and right off the bat, and <laughs> it, it, I mean, it's kind of funny that we're having a podcast about this. Right off the bat, men should keep their opinions out of the abortion debate. Yeah, I wanted to start with that one because we are literally two dudes that are talking about this. And that is one of the most common arguments that you hear from the pro-choice side is that if you are a man, you don't have a say. Now, there's a couple of problems with that, so I'm going to go ahead and address that. One is that that argument is a little bit dated now, 
because we live in an era where men actually can become pregnant. Now, I'm being facetious when I say that because, of course, I don't believe that men can become pregnant. But the majority of advocates for abortion who are on that side of the political aisle, they would probably agree that, well, gender is is on a spectrum and uh, that actually men can get pregnant, as in trans men can get pregnant. And so that's, that's an issue. I'm sorry, I should say trans women can get pregnant because if a trans woman is a real woman, as they say, well, then that means trans women are real women and they would have a say on abortion. So obviously that point is moot, right? Now, probably what they would say to that is that, well, actually, only people that have a uterus can have a say in abortion. Well, you still end up at the same slippery slope because now you're going to tell women who you have said are actually real women that they can't have a say in a women's rights issue. And then I've also noticed, just to, to further hammer home this point, is that pro-choice advocates are perfectly fine with men having an opinion on abortion as long as it's in favor of abortion. They're totally fine with dudes being at pro-abortion rallies and holding up mm -hmm. signs and posters and all those different things as long as they are, like I said, in favor of it. Yeah, they. I saw a really... <laughs> I saw a really funny Instagram reel and it was this, it was obviously it was a woman playing both parts and she, for the man, she just had a baseball cap on and she said, Hey, I have some opinions on abortions. And then it cuts to her without the cap. She's playing a woman and it says, you can't make any uh, arguments because you don't have a uterus. And it uh, pans back to her as a man and she goes, okay, can I be a woman? And then it pans back to them and they're like, oh my gosh, yes, that is so awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's comedy is going to save the world because it exposes so much. You know, I love stuff when like I, that. I showed, I showed my wife this this list that we compiled. You know, she read this one, very the very first one she read. And she said, well, she goes, and let me qualify this. My wife is a neonatal uh, intensive care unit nurse. So she specifically deals with premature babies and trying to keep them alive when they're born prematurely. And even she said, well, that doesn't make any sense because 50% of a child is the man. You know, she yeah. said you have, you have to have a man to have a child. Right. And so it, it absolutely affects them as much, especially if the, it's a man who wants to keep the baby, you know, Absolutely. And there are horror stories out there of men begging and pleading for, you know, the woman that they procreated with to keep the baby and to not to not abort it. I mean, that is a story that has happened plenty of times. Also, from a logical standpoint, it really doesn't make sense because, I mean, can you be against whaling if you don't live on the coast and if you're not a whaler or if you're right. not somebody who I mean, you know what I'm saying? The, from a logical standpoint, it just doesn't hold up. It's a terrible argument. Boom. We killed it. Let's move on to number two. Okay. So uh, the second point, pro-life is about men wanting to control women's bodies. Yeah, I don't know where this argument comes from. To me, it makes absolutely no sense. If anything, abortion benefits men because 
men can, uh, again, we didn't even talk about this whenever we talked about the sexual revolution and feminism and women's liberation, how these things actually benefit men because it was after the sexual revolution that now women were burning their bras and walking around without bras on. Does that not benefit men? Now women are walking around it depends what the women look like. (laughs) (laughs) True. Um, But now women are walking around dressed immodestly when before the sexual revolution, it was, um, you know, that that would be taboo. Um, Contraception, of course, made sex consequenceless, if that's a word, or it helped to take away some of the consequences of sex. Right. And then same with abortion. Because of abortion, we have had plenty of stories of men pressuring their wives or their girlfriends or the woman that they had a one night stand with to go get an abortion because they don't want to have to deal with the consequences of their choices. It benefits men in many ways. Of course, that kind of contradicts what we just talked about, right? With some dads, you know, begging and pleading the woman not to do it. But I would say, for the most part, you really can't make the argument that this is about men wanting to control women's bodies because pro pro choice again benefits men more than pro life does. And honestly, when I when I read that argument, part of me thinks they're talking about the conservative men in Congress, you know, that actually make the laws. I would almost. <clears throat> Even with the, cons- the the conservative half of this country, this just is not a big like concern for men. You know, like it, it's not it's not a it's more of a con- I I, don't, I just don't see it as a big concern for men, and so I just I just don't understand why. Like you said, what what do we have to gain by controlling what women do with their bodies in the sense of pregnancy? And and then on top of that, I mean, Roe v. Wade particularly was decided by how many was it nine white male su- Supreme Court justices? Am I correct in that? Right. I, yes. I can't remember. So, again, they're fine with men, quote unquote, making decisions about women's bodies as long as it's in favor of abortion. Right. Yeah. So uh, I guess we can move on. I think we pretty much address that one um so the next one and this is i guess this one can get into this is more of a biological debate i guess but it's not a baby it's a fetus yeah and people will say that i mean you'll see you'll see that in street debates and stuff or on signs you know they'll say it's not even a baby it's a fetus well that all falls apart when first of all you look at the actual meaning of the word fetus which is latin for i believe small child or little one. So it's kind of like saying, you know, it's not a vehicle, it's a truck. You know, you're just using different qualifying terminology for the same thing. But even then, a fetus is a baby. It's just in a different stage of human development. And if we take that to its logical conclusion, we're all still developing, right? I mean... We're getting older, our skin is getting, you know, wrinkled, our cells are changing. We're constantly developing as human beings throughout different stages of our life. The fetus just happens to be one of those stages. So again, if you take that to its logical conclusion, then 
you should be able to kill anybody because we're all still developing. We're none of us are fully developed. Well, and I think part of me thinks that fetus is the word they a word they like to use to make themselves feel better about you know taking a stance on on pro choice. Absolutely, you know? it's because like it's you a said, tactic as old as time. It's to dehumanize it. By just using a different word, and like you said, that's a, that is the Latin word for like you said. I think it is. I think it's Latin for little one. And so, I mean, technically, if you translate Latin to English, what is the difference between baby and little one? You know, right? And 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 that's the thing is how many times throughout history have we had to dehumanize a certain group in order to justify our violence or abuse of that group? Right. Right. About slavery or the Holocaust. So, yeah, not a good argument. We can move on. Okay. Um, The next one, it's not a human yet until dot, dot, dot. And I've heard several arguments um, that you can insert behind um, that last word. Most of them being. It's not a human until it's had a conscious experience. It's not a human until there's a weak threshold. Um, I, there's just a bunch of different qualifications they can throw behind that to try to make the argument anyway. Yeah, and I think that that argument is going to be the thorn in the side of the pro-choice, pro-abortion movement. I think that argument alone is what is going to kill the pro-abortion movement and here's why it's because of that argument that there is a lack of consistency on the pro-abortion side so for example if you gave me 10 blue-haired leftists right or a room a room with 10 blue-haired leftists like your average typical pro-abortion supporter right and if i asked each one of them when life begins it's possible that they would all give me a different answer right it could be when oh, sure. the, when the heart starts beating or when the lungs develop or when they the brain is fully developed it could be at 20 weeks at 24 weeks it could be at 3 months it could be at 6 months it could be at 9 months and they're all going to have a different answer most likely whereas when you ask the average pro and while and while there are nuances in the pro life movement if you ask the average 10 pro-lifers, they're probably all going to tell you life begins at conception. That's something that we have on our side. That is one of our strongest wins is that we have consistency. They do not. There's even, I've even heard them say that um, it it begins when they can live on their own outside of the mother. And I'm thinking, well, I mean, you're really you can't do anything for yourself until you're like six. <laughs> right. Like, and e- and even then, what are you going to do? Drive a car to the grocery store with the money that you don't have to buy the food. I mean, you're, de- you're fully dependent on your, on somebody, whether it's your parents, your adopted or foster parents, whether it's um, your foster care system that you're in, whatever it is, you are fully dependent and reliant on somebody, somebody else to live for a very long time. And so if we take that to its logical conclusion, then we could justify infanticide. We could justify killing most people up until 18 years old, until they're out of the house, right? And they have their own job. 
So that argument does not hold up. And there are some uh, abortion advocates who do try to keep their view consistent, like Peter Singer, for example. I don't know if you're familiar with who he is, mm-hmm. but he, you know, he's a, a modern day philosopher and uh, I guess you could call him an ethicist. And so he actually advocates that infanticide should be legal in order to keep the, his view consistent because he believes that until you have had um, maybe I don't want to I don't want to misquote him or butcher what he actually says, but I want to say maybe the mirror test, like when you can actually recognize yourself in the mirror is when you are a, a, a conscious being worthy of moral value. And so obviously there are newborns, there are six-month-olds and one-year-olds and maybe even up to two-year-olds that wouldn't be able to pass that test. Therefore, I mean, yeah, my, my kid's three and he will like look in the mirror and I'll say, who is that? And he finally started saying his name. Like, so I mean, he's three. Right. And, and so again, when you take that argument to its logical conclusion, it's horrifying, it's detestable, it's repugnant. And the average pro-choice advocate, they will not uh, concede that. They will not admit that. But you do have that extreme view that is out there with names as big as Peter Singer. And, you know, you're talking about uh, you were talking about Louis C.K. earlier. Do the comedians of this time period kill it with these abortion jokes? This this point actually made me think of that that Bill Burr sketch. Where I'm, and you know, he's a he's a liberal, and I'm I think he's pro-choice, but he did say on stage during his one of his routines, he was like, you know, I get where they're coming from. He goes, that would be like me baking a cake. You know, I'm mixing it all together. I put all the ingredients in. I throw it in the oven, and then halfway yeah. through, you take it out and sling it across the floor, and then tell me that's not a cake. And he goes. But it would have been if you'd have just right. waited a little longer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so good. Yeah, that it's such a it's such a great sketch. I love it. Um, but you know, even then to just to take this point a little bit further before we move on, you you have to be able to ask the average pro life, I'm sorry, excuse me, the pro choice advocate where their logic comes from. For example, um there are pro-choice advocates out there, and I would say a good number of them share this belief that a baby does not have moral value until it has been born. Once it's born, it is now a baby, and it has uh, moral and you know intrinsic value. Okay. Well, what you would want to ask them is, what is the magical event that happens when the baby? goes from the uh, the womb through the, the the birth canal and into the world like what what is the magical event that suddenly sprinkles moral fairy dust onto the baby as it passes through that canal right like what what grounds do they have for deciding okay passing through the the, the vaginal canal is when you're given your value like where does that come from is it God where who who decides this? And you know what's funny, like, or not funny, but what is so hypocritical about the state of New York? Let's use them as an example. You can have an abortion up to the birth of the child, right? But at the same time, if you push a pregnant lady downstairs and she dies and the baby dies, they will charge you with double homicide. And that's what I'm saying. It's inconsistent. 
that's that's true even in one of the most liberal states in America, one of the most leftist states that you can have an abortion up to the day of birth, but you know, killing a pregnant lady would be double homicide. They their view is inconsistent and they have no way to rectify it. They've been trying for a very long time and they haven't come up with any good arguments. So, um yeah, I'm happy with that. Let's move on. Okay, so the next one is going to be is it a oh sorry is it a conscious being yeah well what they'll usually say is that it's not a conscious being therefore it doesn't have moral value and it's a really good thing that we don't typically ascribe moral value to people or beings that are conscious or not because what about when you're asleep you're unconscious what about somebody who is in a coma they are not conscious. We would never say that because a sleeping person is unconscious or because somebody in a coma is unconscious that it would be morally acceptable to kill them. So that one's a pretty bad argument. That's all I really have to say about that one. I don't know if you have any thoughts. Um, yeah, I don't... I mean, I mean, they can feel pain pretty quickly for sure. I mean, I would feel like that's some sort of consciousness, right? Yeah, but that would be irrelevant. I mean, whether they can feel pain or not, uh, somebody who's in a coma, who's in a medically induced coma, for example, they cannot feel pain, right? But we could never use that as a justification for murdering them. <laughs> okay, Um. the next point that they bring up, which this is such <clears throat> trigger warning, sort of. This is it, this is such an obnoxious saying, and I hate, hate, hate it. Um, it's just a clump of cells. Yep, that's a bad argument because I'm a clump of cells. You are a clump of cells. Every person alive today or that has ever existed is a clump of cells. Our bodies, every fiber of our being is made up of cells. We're all a clump of cells, so we could never use that as a justification to kill somebody. It's just a bad argument. I don't know what your thoughts might be on it. I feel like people who say that don't have an actual argument for their stance on why they're pro-choice. Right. They're just doing what we talked about earlier, which is they are dehumanizing the fetus in order to justify killing it. By calling it a clump of cells, they're giving it a different name right? than baby or fetus. And that is how they mentally justify the murder of it. Um, yeah, we don't have to spend any time on that one either. That one, because that one just that one's super annoying and kind of cringy when people say that, because it just means <laughs> that they don't have an actual argument, right? Or they're not intelligent enough to actually think of something else when they're trying to debate somebody with that. <clears throat> the next one is um, pretty interesting. Is women are going to get abortions regardless of the law, so we should make it safe and legal. Yeah, the problem with that argument is that you would never apply it to anything else, right? Like you would never say that, well, men are going to rape, therefore we should make rape legal and safe. You would never say people are always going to murder other people, so we should make it legal and safe, or people are always going to steal, you would never apply the same logic to any other argument. So that one is bunk, in my opinion. 
Well, I guess this one also comes down to like a morality thing and they don't believe they're actually hurting anybody when they do it, you know, but like I said, that's also a, a, a morality um, situation there. Right. I understand that they're not, they're not seeing it as, you know, they're not seeing it as a, a, a moral issue other than women should be, you know, able to get an abortion, but like I said, we would never apply that to anything else. And so why does abortion get, get a pass on that? Right. Okay, let's see. So <laughs> abortions should be safe, legal, and rare. Um, however, they have, um, I guess, just X'd out that last one. Right, and I was going to mention that. Safe, legal, and rare is actually kind of a, an outdated phrase, I guess you could call it, because – the word rare implies that there is something morally wrong with abortion or there's at least something, you know, there's there's something morally neutral at the very least about it. That's what that word implies. And so they've had to kind of nix that word and just say abortion should be safe and legal. That is the stance of the pro-life, the, the modern, I'm sorry, excuse me, I keep mixing them up. That is the stance of the modern day pro-choice lobby is that abortion should be safe and legal. And so I, I find that to be super interesting because, you know, you can actually watch their logic fall apart in real time whenever you ask them, okay, do you really believe that? Because for I'll give you an example of what I'm trying to say. Um, I saw this, uh, this street debate where this guy is talking to this um, pro-choice you know, protester or whatever. And she's yelling over and over abortion is a, a woman's right. It should be safe and legal. It is healthcare. Abortion is healthcare, you know, over and over. And he said, okay, what if I am a raging sexist and my wife gets pregnant with a girl? Is sex selective abortion okay? Would that be morally acceptable to you? Because the woman had been saying that any kind of abortion, no matter what, the, the reasoning doesn't matter. doesn't matter what your motives or intentions are. Abortion should be legal. And it was just so interesting to see once he asked her that question, you could just see her gears turning. But then she went right back to her scripted saying and just said, the motives do not matter. They are not my business. They are only the business of the mother. Or she would not use the word mother, but they are only the, she would probably say they're only the business of the pregnant person. But you could tell that internally she was having, there was some cognitive dissonance happening. She was having an internal conflict. So mm -hmm. that was just so interesting to see happen in real time. Well, and when you, you talk about the rare, the, the rare aspect of it, you know, first of all, when they X out the word rare, they're turning against their queen mother, Margaret Sanger. She's the one that coined that phrase. <clears throat> yeah, and, and uh, the whole Margaret Sager aspect of the, the pro-choice lobby is a super, super sketchy one. I don't know if you were about to go into that, but. Oh, no, just that I was just going to throw out a stat as far as and I, I can guarantee this is one of the reasons that they no longer say safe and legal and rare and just safe and legal, because as a minority in the city of New York or state of New York, it may not be New York City, maybe the entire state of New York. 
as an African American, you are you're a coin flip there. Fifty percent of black babies are aborted in that state, which is crazy to me. Oh yeah, it's insane. That statistic is insane. <laughs> yeah, it, it is, and that's the thing that pro-choice advocates don't like to admit, at least about Margaret Sanger and Planned Parenthood, is that she was a eugenicist. Mm -hmm. And um, they will say things like, well, yeah, the intentions of Planned Parenthood used to be bad, but things have changed. Now it is just genuinely about helping women. And it's like, uh, are you sure about that? Because Planned Parenthood seemed to pop up, statistically speaking, in minority neighborhoods. And, um, you know, the New York statistics look really bad. So... Yeah, they used to be a racist eugenics organization, but not anymore. Are you sure about that? I don't know. It's it's worth taking a look at for sure. Mm hmm. But uh, yeah, we can move on to the next one um, because this one's kind of crazy too. It's or it's. I can see what's contested. Um, without abortion, more kids would grow up poor, neglected, or in the foster system. Yeah, this is a really really bad argument when you take it again to its logical conclusion because essentially you're saying that poor kids or kids that are in the foster system would actually be better off dead when i guarantee you that if you ask the average poor or a, a poor kid or kid who's in a foster system hey um you know would it be okay if i killed you right now so you don't have to suffer anymore they would probably say no i don't want to die <laughs> right yeah and they'll use the same argument for, you know, children with disabilities. And and that's just a, a really, really morbid thing is that there are people in the pro-choice lobby that think that we should be able to um, abort children or it's favorable to abort children with disabilities so that they don't have to. Um, the, the argument is the. Uh, you know, the the future misery argument essentially is what it is because they're basically mm -hmm. predicting that because the what kind of quality of life is this kid going to have when he when he or she grows up with a disability. But obviously we would never say that a child that has a disability now would be better off dead, right? Because they're getting to experience the joys and beauties of life, no matter how they perceive it. They might perceive it differently than we do because they have maybe a mental or physical disability, but it doesn't mean that they're not still, by virtue of being a human, a human, that they're not still entitled to that right. Yeah, and I'm going to play devil's advocate for a minute. Um, Go ahead. Once again, I showed my wife this list, and she read that one, and I didn't even think about this, but they deal with a lot of, you know, hospitals in general deal with a lot of drug addict mothers that have children and you know they have to deal with foster care a lot and sure. i think that the government on both sides of the aisle have failed us as americans when it comes to the foster care system because even for the good families that can't have kids and want to adopt it is so expensive it is so time consuming it is so hard to do and i don't know if that is i don't have any um, experience adopting or fostering kids and i don't know if that's it's that way because they want to make sure the kid does go to a good home but i know that it's incredibly expensive and incredibly time consuming and 
um, just like the fights with the courts when the parents want to try to get involved again, even though they gave the kid up to begin with and all the emotional roller coasters you go through trying to adopt a kid. It's just, it's just hard. And I think that the, the government on both sides of the aisle have failed us or failed the kids really in that aspect. Yeah. And, and you are so right about that. Um, <clears throat> everything that you said is true, but the thing is, is that two th- things can be true at the same time. Right. So abortion can be immoral, but also our foster care system can also need reform. So I think there's a conversation to be had there. And that conversation is happening, especially among pro-life advocates. They are, um, you know, uh, examining the foster system and they're seeing it and, and they're seeing that it needs reform and they are making moves to, uh, you know, to do something about it. So that is a conversation that's happening. But yeah, I definitely agree with you. It's they, the government, the, the system has failed children in that way, but it's still we're not justified in killing them just because they might grow up in a less than favorable situation. It's interesting how the far left is actually so anti-poor when they claim to be, mm-hmm. you know, advocates for the poor. Well, you're actually advocating genociding the poor with this argument by saying, well, uh, kids are going to grow up poor if we do, if if you know if we don't allow abortion. Well, what's wrong with that? I thought you love the poor. <laughs> I think they're in their twisted minds. That's they. That's how they think they're helping. They think it's a, like a mercy killing type thing. Yeah. Well, I think they're yeah they're in there just they think that it's going to help the the mother in the long because she won't be strapped down with the financial responsibilities of a kid a kid for the next eighteen to twenty years. You know. Right, which is such a twisted and, and weird thing that we've done to women by making them think that they can't be a mother and successful. When being a mother, I mean, that's like the most natural thing that comes to women. And so to tell them that, hey, you cannot be successful and a mother, you have to choose one or the other. It's so not true. You know, it's just so uh, twisted and backwards. Anyway, we mm-hmm. can we can move on. Um, This one's good, too. The government should not legislate morality. Okay, I think that was one of the our, our points of contention where you had kind of told me and this wasn't we didn't talk about this on an episode, but you had kind of said that like you you have an issue with the government being able to tell people what they can do with their body. Well, yeah, there was right? there, I think there's well there it hammers at home in another point we wrote down later, but yes. Okay, well then I'll I'll save that point, but just to address this one really quickly, the government should not legislate morality. Are you serious? What if um, the, the government legislates morality all the time, and that's what we expect the government to do? That's the whole point of laws, right? There are laws that yeah, say you can't, you can't, can't murder. Steal. Right. You <clears throat> can't carjack somebody. You can't break into somebody's house. I mean that's what the whole thing is there for. So, yeah, I get it. I am a naturally libertarian-minded person. I don't love government at all. I mean I have expressed – um anarchist sympathies before i'm definitely Mm -hmm. that kind of person but the problem is is that we're not talking about just a woman's body here and i think we're going to talk more about that later on but Mm -hmm. we're talking about two two persons here the pregnant mother the pregnant woman and then another separate person inside of her and just like the same way that i can't murder you you can't murder a person that is inside of you I've actually never heard that argument before, but if I ever did, it would it would just I mean I would immediately send off 
alarms of silliness. Yeah. Seeing as how everything, every other law in this country is based on a moral code in some way or the another, you know? Right. It's so silly. Well, it's because they think that uh, the rejection of abortion, they think that that alone is based in religion, but they think that having laws against murdering and stealing is not based in religion, that it's just based in, I don't know, what they consider human decency, when in reality, yes, those laws do come from Christianity. They come from the Bible. So anyway, we can, we can move on. If the fetus is not viable, it is not a person with moral value. So I'm assuming this is um, – they're arguing you know, if the baby's not going to come out alive. No, not even that. Just, um, uh, a f- you know, there are certain times in development at the beginning of fetal development where the fetus would not be viable outside of the womb. Like it wouldn't be able to survive. So they're saying up until that point, and we have actually, we talked about this a little bit at the beginning. They're saying that yeah. up until that point, it doesn't have moral value, but we talked about how it doesn't matter. It's a human being in a certain stage of development and we're all still developing developing we don't just get to kill somebody because they're in a stage of development like i said that wouldn't happen i mean that like i said kids can't take care of themselves even halfway until they're you know five or six until they can pour their own damn cereal right you know (laughs) aborting a fetus is morally acceptable because it wouldn't have known it was going to be born yeah that's um it's an argument for consciousness again that because right now the the fetus doesn't have consciousness that we're justified in killing it when we know again that that's not the case if somebody is asleep or they're in a coma we would not be justified in killing them so just because the fetus might not know what hit it the same way that you would know if i like if you were asleep and i came into your room with an axe or a gun and i shot you in the head you wouldn't know what hit you right you wouldn't know right. what you're missing because it would be over, but that doesn't matter. It, I wouldn't be justified in killing you just because you weren't conscious. And like I said, I'm just I'm just going to devil's advocate a few of these, and this is another one. Um, I, I think where you would get pushback on that argument is as far as like the person that's in a coma or you coming in the middle of the night and putting an axe through my head or whatever. You're right. I wouldn't know. It would be over like that. However, I, we as people, whether we're in comas or get murdered in the middle of the night, have had a conscious experience and have had memories and, you know, we've lived. Right. And then that's where I would ask that person who made that argument. I would say, well, why does conscious experience grant a person hum- value? Why does it grant them personhood? Mm-hmm. Where are you getting that idea from? What God said that? Like, where does that come from? Right? Right. And then they would struggle to to give me an answer on that. They would say, well, that's right. just my opinion. That's extremely dangerous. If Oh, yeah. That's a slippery if, slope If human sure. value comes from your opinion or just our opinion, no, it has to come from some kind of objective outside source. That is the whole purpose of the Bible. That is the whole purpose of God. We have an objective source that supersedes human uh human reasoning and logic in nature that tells us what's right and wrong and we need that because otherwise we will make our own opinions we will form our own opinions and we will decide what's right and wrong and if we get it wrong 
I mean, the consequences could be terrifying. Right. <clears throat> Planned Parenthood used to be eugenic, but not anymore. Yeah, we already we already addressed this one. We talked about it. Um, we can go ahead and brush past that one. Obviously, there are still some uh, eugenics involved. So, oh yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I I was trying to pull up the uh, stats before we got to this question, but I was uh, I wasn't paying attention when that question was coming up. Um, but yes, I, I'm I'm assuming that if you looked up the stats, it would be heavily uh, le- like lean to the minorities that are having the most abortions. Yeah. That's just off the top of my head using just objective truth. I'm, I'm almost positive that would be the case. If not, that's fine. Y'all can correct me in the comments or whatever you want to do, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm pretty sure that's, that's the case. Um, life begins at first breath or at insert a number of weeks. We kind of addressed this one already, um, but I think something that we didn't address is the first breath part. There was a meme that was going around right after Roe ver- the the whole Roe versus Wade was overturned that uh-huh. was saying that um, it was like a picture of Pikachu with his kind of his mouth open, like he's in shock. And it said something along the lines of when you find out that the Bible says life begins at first breath, and people were just sharing it like it was like wildfire, right? Because it was supposed to be this dunk on Christianity and Christians and pro-lifers, blah, blah, blah. Uh-huh. Well, the problem is that these are people who had never cracked open a Bible in their lives that were sharing this and that didn't even know what they were sharing. No, the Bible does not say that human life begins at first breath. All I can imagine is that they got that from in Genesis where Adam and Eve specifically, they were not born of a womb. They were created by God as fully formed, just about fully formed humans. So their life began when, at first. Yeah, breath. when he t- when, yeah when he breathed life into them. Right, yes. but not not humans in general. No, human life begins at conception, and it is at conception when a completely unique strand of DNA is created. A unique identity is created at conception. So that that point is moot it's it's bunk um this next one is as lazy if not lazier than the clump of cells argument and it's i don't even think a lot of pro-choice people use this saying anymore because it's super obnoxious and also lazy my body my choice well if if you're plugged into the you know that that world if you're online and and you see you know street debates and stuff like that you will come across that people still they still chant this my body my choice they say it over and over they have it on signs and on shirts blah 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 and yeah it's a bad argument because again we talked about this there is a separate person if you are pregnant there's a separate person inside of you that has its own unique dna that has his or her own uh, genetic like i said genetic identity their own personhood their own moral value you don't just get to do whatever you want with the life that's inside of you just because it's inside of you. Um, also, if you take this point, if you take this argument to its logical conclusion, you have issues immediately because you couldn't say, uh, I'm going to run you over with my car, my body, my choice. I'm using my body to run to run you over. It's my choice. Therefore, it's morally acceptable. Or And, and, and even 
yeah. legally we don't allow people to shoot up heroin in the street. It's their body is their choice, but we don't allow it. So there Unless are a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, right. There are a lot of things that we don't allow that you can't do with your body. It's not it's it's not just your choice. Okay. Uh, this is a this one that we wrote down or that that we have here on the list. I think is. I don't know if it's a pro-choice argument or not. It's abortion should only be allowed in cases of rape or incest. It's a fence straddler argument. Oh, and okay, I, okay, okay. Got you. Got you I got put you. it on there because I was assuming that's kind of the perspective that you had on it. Feel free to correct that if not. Um, as a parent, and I've got a son, so I don't have a daughter, but I'm not going to force my child my 11-year-old child to go through something like that if she didn't want to. I've never talked to my wife about this either on like where she stands on it, you know, especially being the mother of the kid, it's completely different, but I just I just can't it, and with the incest thing, it's like it, depending on how close like if it's a brother and a sister, like I don't know the kind of quality of life that child's actually going to have. Well, we talked um, about that already though about does the quality of life argument does it really play out when you think about it? When you take it to its to to its extent, is it right to deny someone their life because they might it, it might not be the quality that we perceive? Right. But so with with and so we'll we'll move past this one because the right part um kind of goes along with our last point that we're going to talk about. You know, with the well, last well, hold on. Is... Let me let me let me say just a couple of things about it, and yeah, then we sure, can sure, move sure, on. Sure. But yeah, this is what I want to say. I want to say first of all, this is this is one of the toughest parts of the conversation. And those of us who are on the pro life side of the argument, we need to always approach this with a, a tender gentleness and compassion, because mm -hmm. it's rough. I mean, uh, rape is horrible. Incest is horrible. These are real things that happen to innocent people and so um we we do need to have that tenderness when discussing it so if we ever are having this conversation with somebody we need to say look it's horrible that you or a loved one had to go through that and you shouldn't have had to go through that but here's the problem in the case of rape for example let's take rape we don't even execute rapists in america all right so why should we execute the innocent unborn person that is in the womb for the crime of their father why should we continue the cycle of violence they are an innocent victim they are an innocent consequence of the rape and again we don't even execute rapists in america so why should we execute an innocent party if we should execute anyone it should be the guy who did it mm -hmm. and that's really rough to say you know but what what a lot of times they'll say is the rebuttal will be, well, for a young woman to have to carry that pregnancy, they're going to be constant. And, and then if they're supposed to mother that that kid, they're going to be constantly reminded of their trauma. And so what every we would, day. Sure. But what we would say to that is, first of all, is aborting the fetus. Is that going to unrape the rape victim? Right. Are they just immediately going to forget about their trauma? If anything, Statistically, there are studies that show that abortion only makes it worse because now it leads to this postpartum depression because their their body is suffering um, a loss. And um, 
whether it's conscious or subconscious, they're now grieving that loss. And a lot of times it only makes things worse. And again, I know that it's this is a rough subject, but it's important. Why would we continue to perpetuate the cycle of violence and kill an innocent being? So, yeah, it's hard. Um, we might talk a little bit more about it, but that is definitely the that's the pro-life stance on it. And I guess I mean, at the end of the day, I've I've known people like that. That are products of it. And, and would they be better off dead? Does their life not have moral value? Right. And, you know, that the, they didn't, they weren't put up for adoption or anything like that. You know, I mean, it just, that, it, that would take a stronger person than what I am, I think. Yeah. But um, I guess it can be done. <laughs> this one kind of irritates me too. Abortion is legal. Therefore, it is a right. Yeah. When you look at it through a historical concept, or sorry, a historical lens or historical context, I guess that was what my brain was trying to say. When you look at it through a historical lens, we'll say um, that argument falls apart because there was a time when slavery was legal, but that doesn't make it morally acceptable. Just because it was legal didn't make it morally acceptable. So it's a bad argument. And technically at the federal level, they have nothing to do with it now. It's a state-by-state state, you know, decision, sure. which is how it should be. I mean, that's at really almost every law should be. Yeah. You know, the the founding fathers started this country and really the I mean the government's job is to protect us from foreign invaders and everything else should really be left up to the state you live in, but that's for another podcast. <laughs> right, right. Okay. Um what about ectopic pregnancies? Excuse me. Yeah, so just really quick for the listener who might not know, an ectopic pregnancy is where the conception implants in the fallopian tubes and uh it can be extremely dangerous for the mother it's i think it's always 100 percent of the time fatal for the embryo or the fetus i guess i don't even know if it, it makes it to the fetus part uh of development but it's always fatal for the pregnancy and so what we need to do here is we need to make sure that we distinguish between abortion and between terminating a pregnancy. There's a guy, listeners, that you can look up. His name is Dr. Anthony Levitino. He used to be an abortionist, an abortion doctor, but um, he ended up becoming um, a pro-life advocate, and um, he continued his OBGYN practices after he became pro-life, but he just didn't do abortions anymore. And he, uh, he talks about how the pro oh, sorry i keep doing that the pro choice lobby has co-opted the term terminate or terminate a pregnancy and that it's a medical term that uh has nothing really to do with abortion what it is is um he he talks about how as a pro life doctor he had to terminate many pregnancies but they weren't abortions if a pregnancy is going to be fatal for the ba for for the embryo or for for the baby and it's going to be fatal for the mother then sometimes you have to terminate or end that pregnancy but it doesn't mean you're committing a direct abortion you're not going in and killing the baby you may have to deliver it early all you're doing is ending the pregnancy and right. if you do whatever you can to save the baby but it may not live that's not the same thing as a direct abortion. Now, with the topic of 
when, when it comes to ectopic pregnancies, sometimes just as humans, we have to, we have to decide, we have to choose, we have to, we, we have to make decisions that are hard to do, but you might have to terminate an ectopic pregnancy because again, it's always fatal for the baby. And it's usually fatal if, if it's not treated, it'll be fatal for the mother. Mm-hmm. So that is not the same thing as a direct abortion. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't have a heartbeat. Therefore it's not alive. Yeah. Again, it's in a stage of development. It might not have its heartbeat yet, but it doesn't mean that it's not uh, worthy of human value. And again, well, you, let me... you, would, you would have to ask the person, why does a heartbeat give magically give it human value? Like, where does that well, come from? What, let me right? go ahead and squash this too real quick. It it has a heartbeat by the time you find out you're pregnant. I think right. I think the first heartbeat can happen within like the first five weeks, five, six weeks. That's mm-hmm. usually when you find out you're pregnant anyway. Yeah, that's a good point. And so, I mean, unless you're taking plan B the very next day as a precaution. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, yeah, by the time you find out you're pregnant, I mean that heart's beating. Sure. If you had to choose between a hundred embryos and one fully formed baby, you would choose the adult. Okay, so that that point isn't fully fleshed out. The the argument is if there was a uh, like a, a lab that was on fire, okay, and in this lab you had a hundred embryos and you had one fully formed, let's say a, a one year old baby, and and there was a fire in this lab and you had to save either the hundred embryos or the baby, any normal, rational, re- reasonable person is going to choose the one year old baby, and that's absolutely true. And so that what they're trying to say with that argument is that clearly there's a difference between a fully formed baby, at least morally speaking, and those embryos. They're half right because there there is a difference, but we identify, first of all, more with the, the fully formed baby than we do with the embryos. But second of all, just as humans, we recognize the capacity to suffer that the one-year-old baby would have versus the 100 embryos. So naturally, we're going to choose the baby, but it doesn't mean that those 100 embryos don't still have moral value. To give you an example, let's say you have the same fire and you can either save your wife or 10 strangers. Which one are you going to choose? Depends what she's if she's pissed me off that day. No, I'm just kidding. Right. Yeah. <laughs> You're probably going to choose your wife because this is somebody that you have a an emotional connection with. But does would that mean that those 10 strangers don't still have the same moral value that your wife has? Of course not. Right, right. So, again, that's a bad argument when you actually dissect it. Okay, the next point is uh, pro-lifers are actually only pro-birth and don't care about what happens after birth. Yeah, that's one that you hear a lot, and it's kind of just an ad hominem attack. You know, I think when people make that argument, they realize that they really don't have any other good arguments, so they try to um, directly attack the the character of the pro-lifers instead of actually their arguments. You know, and first of all, how could you prove that, right? How could you prove that pro-lifers don't actually care about what happens to a baby after it's born. But second of all, just statistically, that's not true. It's pro-lifers are the ones that are adopting the most kids. 
are fostering mm-hmm. the most kids. And so, I mean, when you, when you really break it down that way, it's just not true. And again, you, you would have, if you're going to make that argument, you have to prove it somehow. How could you prove that pro-lifers only care about the fetus and don't care about what happens after it's born? It's just not true. And even if it, even if it is really the motivations, even if that's true, even if pro-lifers don't really care about what happens to a baby after it's born, that doesn't mean that the baby doesn't still have moral value. It right. just means that maybe pro-lifers are inconsistent and need to to work on that, but it doesn't change. And that's the thing. Whenever we're having conversations with people who disagree with us on this topic, we need to always bring the, the conversation back to what is the unborn. We need to always go back to that because if it is a human being, then that means it intrinsically and inherently has moral value that is worth protecting. Right. Okay, this is kind of where I this is where I fall. This next one's kind of where I, I have my dilemma. Um, as someone who I guess I would call myself center right, I, I I want the government to intervene as little as possible in everybody's life. But um, if you disagree with abortion, don't get one, but don't force your beliefs on others. And that's kind of where I stand. You know, I, I don't I don't agree with abortion uh, morally. That's where I stand. I just find it hard to also at the same in the same breath, like I have a hard time having like with people telling other people what to do because I I don't I don't subscribe to that in a sense as far as. Yeah, like, but but you do, though, and everyone does, because we all say that you don't get to murder somebody. You don't get to steal from somebody. We tell people what to do all the time. The government does. The law does. And we want that to be enforced. And so I understand what you're saying. You're saying some people might believe that it it is a life in the womb and some people might not. You believe that it is a life, but if somebody doesn't, then that's their body and that you wouldn't want to tell them what to do and you wouldn't want the government to tell them what to do. Is that kind of what you're getting at? Right, right, right. Yeah, but again, I mean, we still end up at the same logic which is we we have to ask the question what is it in the life because in the womb i'm sorry what is that what is the unborn because it is a person and we've already determined that like we've already gone over that so if that is a person then it is protected and we have to protect it and we can tell people what they can do and what they can't do because we do that all the time we're just taking this to its <laughs> logical conclusion if it is a human life worthy of protection and has moral value then sorry we have to tell you what to do with it you cannot kill it in the same way that mm-hmm. you know may what if what if you believe let's take it to its extent okay let's say that i am i i hate redheads and i want to kill you because you're a ginger <laughs> we would never say well tanner that's your belief so Sure, you can kill redheads. I mean, I don't have a problem with redheads, but, you know, so I I won't kill redheads, but you do you, right? Or what if I said that to the the person that's arguing with me? What if I said, well, you don't have to like redheads or you don't have to dislike redheads. You don't have to hate them. So don't kill them. That's up to you. But I don't like them. So I'm going to kill Patrick. 
Do you understand mm-hmm. the the issue with that? Well, well yes. I may have butchered However, the delivery, but no, no you're point fine. Still However, <laughs> the thing is, I I don't believe in murder, but people still do it. Well, we talked about that earlier, though, that even if murder is going to happen or even if theft is going to happen, a morally consistent society is still going to have laws against those things to um, to protect people. Why not the the most vulnerable of our society, which is the unborn? They can't mm-hmm. speak for themselves when when they're in the womb. They can't think for themselves. They can't do anything for themselves. They are the right. most vulnerable. So we have to have something in in line systematically to protect them. And like I said, I just, I mean, I, I just, that's the only one I really wrestle with, you know, like I'm at my computer desk now and I had this, like I took the, it was the first sonogram we got before we even knew like what he was. Mm-hmm. And uh, like, it's just, I'll see if I can put it in the, like, it's just a, he's just a little tiny, like I see him. Yeah. Blip. You know, <laughs> but like when we got the sonogram, like we sat in the car and it's like, man, there's, there's a, there's a person inside of you. Like, that's weird. Yeah. Like it, it's so, it's really funny when you become a parent, like it's everything is, he just, they seem like little aliens almost. It's just right. really weird that women can grow things inside of them. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a beautiful thing. It's, you know, it's, it's mysterious and it's wonderful and it's strange and it's all these different things at once, you know? But what it is not, it is it is not something bad that needs to be, you know, removed. That's for sure. Yeah, it really irritates me when people are like, they get really derogatory when they get upset and say things like it's it's no different than a tumor growing inside a woman. Right, and and it is very different from a tumor. A tumor does not have moral value. It doesn't have the capacity to feel. It doesn't have potential for a future. I mean, there are so many things about a tumor that make it different from a an embryo or a fetus. And that's another but, thing, really, really quick, just to kind of shoehorn mm-hmm. this in real fast. There's another meme. I think it was a tweet, and it went viral. And it, I mean, even to this day, I still see it at times on the social medias, which is, you know, if you are a man and you masturbate, you know, you release your... I, I hate saying that word. It just sounds gross, but... <laughs> that you're committing a whole bunch of abortions every time you do that. No, yeah. that's that's not true because a sperm is not a human life. An egg is not a human life. It's when the sperm implants, but when the sperm fertilizes the egg and the egg implants in, into the uterine lining, that is when conception happens. And that's whenever you have a unique genetic identity. Right. So the last thing we'll talk about before we get out of here, and this is actually a, this is brought up a lot in a lot of different podcasts and a lot of different videos I've seen. And uh, guys, if you're listening and you have heard of this, then you'll know exactly what we're talking about. But if you haven't, it's uh, it's the violinist scenario. So uh, just bear with me while I, I kind of read the premise of this, the violinist. So, so you wake up in the morning and you find yourself back in the uh, back in your bed with an unconscious violinist, a famous unconscious violinist. He's been found to have a fatal kidney ailment, and the Society of Music Lovers <clears throat> have canvassed all the available medical records and found that you alone have the right blood type to help. They have therefore kidnapped you, and the, uh, the last night the violent circulatory system was plugged into yours so that your kidneys can be used to extract poisons from his blood as well as your own. The director of the hospital now tells you, look, 
We're sorry the Society of Music Lovers did this to you. We would never have permitted it if we had known. But still, they did it. And the violinist is now plugged into you. To unplug, you would... To If you unplugged, you kill him. But never mind. It's only nine months. By then, he will have recovered from his ailment and can safely be unplugged from you. Okay, so it might seem like there's a lot to unpack there because you have this this kind of a long-winded scenario. And I think this is hilarious because it just proves the moral gymnastics and all of the moral hoops that the pro-abortion lobby has to jump through in order to make their argument, right? When everything else falls apart, they have to create this hilarious, unrealistic scenario to try and, and, and make their argument. But uh, we don't really need to spend that much time on it because pregnancy with uh with your baby to be pregnant with your own baby is not analogous to a stranger it's just not the analogy is not there because it is your child it is half your dna right if you are a woman who's pregnant so it's not mm-hmm. the same Pre- and, and it's also not the same as being imprisoned because i mean yeah once the 9 months is over you have the option to give the baby up for abortion uh, excuse me over not abortion to give it up for adoption or mm-hmm. to place it in the foster care system, whatever it is. So it's just not analogous. If you switch the violinist with literally anything else, a parent, a friend, your own your own child, your spouse, like you, anybody but a stranger, your answer completely changes. Of course you're going to lay in bed for nine months for your wife, your child, your mom, your dad, you know, your even your aunt, uncle, or a, a, even a best friend. Like if you have a best friend, you're going to lay in bed for nine months to make sure that they live. Right. Well, but see what they would say to that though, is that, yeah, you might do that and that would be really nice of you, but should you be legally compelled to do that? And so that's where some of the, you know, that's where you kind of get into the, into the weeds of it. But is this is this a legal argument or a moral argument though? Well, I think it's both. I think it's both, right? Because at the end of the day, <clears throat> it's it's saying that should you legally be required to carry out this pregnancy whenever you look at it through this lens. But mm-hmm. again, one when, when you are pregnant, you now have and this is just according to natural law, you now have a responsibility to this child, you know, you are now connected to it and you have a responsibility to it. Mm-hmm. So man, that about wraps up everything that we had. Obviously we could not go over every single argument for abortion. There are more, we may not have as eloquently um, address these arguments as you know, as some people might want us to do, or I mean, there are people out there that could do a lot better. But this has been our own perspective on these arguments. How we might really, we probably, what we probably should have said at the beginning of this episode is that this is how you should engage with pro-choice advocates. Like these are these are tips. These are ways that you can engage with some of their arguments. That's probably what we should have said, but um, essentially that's what we did. I mean, we went through kind of our best explanations to some of these arguments. 
And so I'm pretty happy with it. I think we did a good job. And, mm -hmm. you know, my, my priority with this was, again, it was, it was really to equip and arm people that are on our side, pro-lifers with the tools that they need in order to combat some of these arguments. My second priority would be swaying people who are on the fence. My last priority, and I wouldn't even say that this was my intention at all, would be to convince somebody who is already pro-choice to come to the other side because I just don't think that's going to happen. I think most people are just entrenched in their own belief oh, systems. It's yeah. a religion for a lot of people. There's a religiosity to it. So I'm more interested in the fence straddlers. And then, of course, people who are pro-lifers that might need some extra help with how to articulate, you know, the rebuttals and the responses to these arguments. Mm -hmm. I feel like it was fruitful conversation for sure. Yeah, this is a cool episode. Um, I can't wait to put it out. Listeners, if you have made it this far, thank you so much for being here with us. It was a good time. If you have any questions or concerns or maybe some follow-up arguments or responses, we'd love to hear from you. But do us a favor. Let's try to keep it civil, okay? We, You don't need to tell us that we're monsters. We already know that we're monsters. So Patrick sees every day when he looks in the mirror. So um, again, listeners, thank you so much for your support. And uh, we look forward to seeing you in the next one. I'm addicted to the thirst I ain't never letting go